Well, as many of you know, I was a falconer for years, and I often missed our Thanksgiving meal because I was attending the North American Falconers Association annual field meet. When my last hawk died of old age, I put falconry behind me. But I do have nostalgic moments when I miss flying hawks and falcons. And I did have some interesting encounters at our internationally attended meets. And one in particular comes to mind this morning. I was hunting with a couple of Muslims from somewhere in the Middle East. And um, as we were visiting, they asked what I did for a living. When I told them I was a minister, they were duly impressed. They assumed that I had some kind of administrative post in the government, like a minister of finance or some such thing. When I explained that I was the minister of a church and told them what I did, they weren't nearly as impressed. Well, maybe to avoid confusion, I should have simply told them I was a pastor. That seems to be more widely used today than the term minister. And even though it's not my favorite title, there's nothing wrong with being called a pastor. Unless you give the impression that you are the pastor, the overseer of a church. You know, there were always more than one pastors in the early churches. More than one individual was charged with the responsibility of pastoring or overseeing a congregation. And there are, in fact, many in a church who function as pastors or shepherds. It's the same word in the Greek. Pastors of a class, perhaps, or a small group, as well as pastors, elders of an entire congregation. So it's It's important that we acknowledge that there are numerous pastors and shepherds in a church. But then again, there are also many who work as ministers or servants or deacons. Again, same word in the Greek. Many who work as ministers in a church as well. So I guess I really shouldn't refer to myself as the minister of Chatham Christian Church. We're all in ministry together. You know, there's a significant difference between thinking of yourself to be the minister and simply viewing yourself as a minister. And I think Paul may have recognized the difference. In our last study together, Paul referred to himself as a minister of the gospel. And in our text for today, he will refer to himself as a minister of the church. A minister, a servant of the gospel and of the church. That's how Paul viewed himself, and that's how I should view myself. And believe it or not, that's how you should view yourself as well. Because we are all in the ministry together. In Ephesians 4, Paul does make it clear that some have been given special leadership roles in the church. Some have been called and and gifted to function in, in different ways, but all the roles in the church are there for one purpose, 
the primary function for all those who are working together in the church is to equip the saints for the work of service, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, we talked about saints uh, a couple of weeks ago in our message from Colossians and discovered that we are all saints. You know, there's, I just read in the paper today that uh, someone up in, was it Peoria uh, or somewhere in Illinois, is, no, Detroit, Detroit, is, is on the process to being recognized as a saint. You know, he died some time ago, and, and people pray to him, and things happen, and so he's going to be a saint. Well, that may be, case, may be the case. He was a saint, and, but you are a saint. And we don't need to meet together and, and vote on whether you should be called a saint or not. If you're in Christ, you're a saint, right? All right, you've been called out. As a saint, you've been set apart as a saint. That means we are all saints working together in ministry, ministers of the gospel and ministers of the church. That's our job. That's why we're here this morning to be equipped to do our job as ministers of the gospel and ministers of the church. So what is it? <laughs> that we're called to do as ministers. What is it we do? Well, actually, we do the same things that Paul did. So let's take a look at what Paul did as a minister and see if we can't all become ministers like Paul. Now, I've got to warn you, the job description doesn't start off on a very positive note. Because if we are to become ministers like Paul... We must be willing to suffer for the church, like Paul did. Read in Colossians, the first chapter, starting with verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul's talking about suffering. And in defending his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote these words. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship. Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul is here defending the validity of his ministry 
by comparing himself to others who boasted about what they had done as servants, as ministers of Christ. Probably giving a list of their accomplishments. His boast, which he actually thinks is insane to even mention, is that he had suffered as a minister of Christ in more ways than one. He had suffered both physically and emotionally, caring for the church and striving to meet the daily needs that exist in the church can be hard. And I can identify with the pressure Paul felt in doing so. Fortunately, I haven't had to suffer physically in the ministry. I haven't been beaten or shipwrecked or so broke I had nothing to eat. And chances are, if you minister in the Chatham area, you won't have to suffer physically either. Now, if you were to go to a culture that is openly hostile to the gospel, or a third world country where physical hardships are the norm for everyone, you would most likely suffer physically in the ministry. And Paul did suffer physically. But he said he rejoiced in his suffering. Now, that doesn't mean he was a masochist who enjoyed suffering, he, who cried out, you know, go ahead and give me the 40th lash because I enjoy it. Paul didn't enjoy suffering, but he did rejoice in the fact that he could suffer for the church, for the Colossians. He was glad to do it for their sake. He said he was willing to suffer in the flesh, which was no doubt a jab at the Gnostics who thought the flesh was evil. He said he was willing to suffer in the flesh on behalf of the body of Christ. And he said he was willing to do his share. Now, that's an interesting statement. He was willing to do his share. Well, what do you mean by that? What's the significance of that? Well, I think it it may help explain why some do suffer More than others, we have different shares, perhaps, of suffering. You know, Jesus made it plain that if the world would persecute him, it would do the same to his followers. So we should expect suffering of one sort or another. But I don't think it means we should seek it. And I don't think we should try to avoid it either through compromise or a lack of caring It's just a fact of life in Christ. There will be some type of suffering involved if we're doing what he did. How much we have to suffer should be left up to the Lord, though. We shouldn't say, well, I'm not being persecuted as much as you are. I must be doing something wrong. Or or, why am I being persecuted more than you are? Let's let the Lord decide the measure of each Suffering, And in fact, the Lord may actually allot each man's share of suffering. And Paul obviously had a big share, and he was told that he would right from the start. At his conversion, the Lord told Ananias, the man who told Paul of Christ's plans for his life and baptized him into Christ, Ananias told him that, that Paul, or the Lord told Ananias that Paul would be shown just how much he would have to suffer. For the name of Christ and for Christ's sake. And it was a big share. A big share. 
Another example of differing shares of suffering being allotted can be seen in Jesus' discussion with Peter shortly before the ascension. After signifying to Peter what kind of death he would suffer, Peter pointed to John and asked, Lord, well, what about him? Jesus' response was, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. We're not to compare our sufferings with each other. And we shouldn't wear our sufferings as, as a badge of honor. Paul said it was insane to even mention what he'd been through. He just did it to help verify the fact that he was, in fact, a faithful apostle of Christ. It's crazy to brag about our suffering for the Lord or to feel cheated if we don't seem to be suffering for him. The amount of suffering we may have to endure is up to him. It's up to us to simply be faithful and trust that he won't allow us to be tempted or tested beyond what we're able to handle with his help. He will only allot us a share of suffering that is needed to accomplish his purposes in our life. And that we can handle. We all should expect to suffer, some for his sake, and for the sake of others, for his body, the church. Paul then said something else about suffering that has caused a lot of debate. He said that his suffering was filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It almost sounds as if Christ's suffering and death weren't sufficient for salvation. And traditional Roman Catholic theology would suggest that that is the case. That the suffering of the saints, purgatory, penance, and other acts of contrition are necessary to help pay the price for sin. But the main thrust of this letter to the Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ. And the writer to the Hebrews makes it very clear that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ and that it was done once and for all. Without a doubt, Jesus' suffering and death was more than sufficient for our salvation. The wages for sin were paid in full on the cross. Our debt was paid. So what does Paul mean here? Well, it's been noted that the word translated afflictions that's used here is never used of Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. And it's been therefore suggested that it refers to his suffering in life and that we simply share in the same kinds of suffering he had in life because the world didn't use up all its hatred on him and therefore treats us the same way. And that is no doubt true. As Paul indicated to the Philippians, we can actually share in the fellowship of his sufferings. When we suffer hardships in life, we can identify with what Jesus went through in life. And there's a bonding that takes place in that. We, we see that with uh, servicemen and women, soldiers who come back. They, they shared something, sometimes horrible things, that makes them into one. When bad things happen to us in life, that enables us to link together with the sufferings of Christ in his life. 
There's a fellowship in that. It's pretty amazing. There's something meaningful and significant going on through these things. And Paul might be saying that here. Or as one commentator suggested, it can mean that as Christ suffered to establish the church, we can and should be willing to suffer to expand it. That we're called upon to pay whatever price is required to get the message of salvation out to others. What exactly Paul had in mind can be debated here, but there's no debating the fact that the primary function of those in ministry is to get the message of salvation out. Or as Paul put it, to share the mystery. Reading on. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said he was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, that God gave him the responsibility to administer something on behalf of Christ for the sake of the church. He was made a steward of something. And he fulfilled his stewardship through preaching the word of God. He was a preaching minister. And as such, his primary responsibility was to preach the word of God. He wasn't a commentator on current events. He wasn't an inspirational speaker of pious platitudes. He wasn't a religious comedian whose job is to make people laugh and feel good. It was his job to preach the word of God, to share, to be a steward of what Paul calls the mystery that had been hidden in the past. Paul was a steward of the mystery of God. Now, that's not to say that Christianity is a mystery religion with secret teachings and rites and ceremonies that are hidden from the masses and available only to a select inner circle. We don't have a special handshake. You know, we don't hold back the truth from others outside of our circle. That's not what he's talking about here. Mystery religions of that kind did exist in Paul's day. And apparently some of that thinking was infiltrating the church in Colossae. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But in speaking of a mystery, he did get people's attention because people like a mystery. They're intrigued by a mystery. And Paul called our attention to the greatest mystery of all. A mystery, he said, that was hidden in the past, but which has now been revealed by God. And that is what a true mystery is. It's something that is totally beyond the reach of man's discovery. Something you cannot figure out. 
Something that can be made known only through the revelation of God. Something that has been made manifest to us. Something that has been revealed to us. That's the mystery of God. And the mystery Paul's referring to is the fact that God will now live within his people. That the price has been paid to cleanse us and to make us into temples which God can dwell. You know, in times past, God's habitation among men was limited to the Holy of Holies in the temple, a place only the high priest could enter. But now God has made it known that he desires to inhabit anyone who will welcome him and make preparation for his coming by being cleansed of sin through the blood of Christ. And it's the presence of Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit that is our hope of glory. His presence in our life today is the guarantee that we can dwell with him forever and ever. If we have been made into temples of his Holy Spirit, today. And we have the assurance of that fact because we have been obedient to what he says in his word. We have every assurance that we will be in his presence forever and ever. And that's the mystery of which Paul was made a steward. And the mystery of which all of us are stewards. Now, you may not fulfill that stewardship through formal preaching of the gospel. But you do have a responsibility to share the mystery of God with others because that mystery is not to remain a mystery to anyone. Ministers like Paul strive to make the mystery known to every man. In fact, they strive for every man. Verses 28 and 29. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The gospel is for every man. Paul says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. We admonish. The word can also be translated confront. We confront every man with the claims of Christ. Now, I realize that sounds confrontational. And it may conjure up Images of a street preacher shouting, prepare to meet your God. And that is one way to confront the world with the claims of Christ, but probably not the best. We more effectively confront people by the lives we live, by the hope we have, by the joy we know. By the relationship we have with our Creator and the assurance we have for the future. We create a curiosity that 
gives us the opportunity to teach and share the mystery. And then we commit ourselves to doing whatever we can to make sure that every man has the opportunity to learn of God and his plan for us. We work individually, answering personal questions and sharing God's word privately. You should be doing that on a regular basis. And we work collectively through the church. We invite friends to worship with us and to learn with us. And some even work as teachers and youth sponsors. We do whatever we can to make sure others know and understand God's word and his will. We do what we can to be able to present every man complete in Christ. That's the goal of ministry. To confront, teach, and be able to present every man complete in Christ. Obviously, that's a big job. And it takes a lot of work. In fact, Paul said... For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And my buddies at uh, Fit Club are convinced that I only work one hour a week. And I enjoy making them believe such. (laughs) Little do they know that while I'm working out, I'm also seeking opportunities to confront, teach, And be able to present them complete in Christ. I trust you're aware that a minister's work is not accomplished in an hour or two a week. Nor is it something a minister can accomplish by himself. Ministry is not a one or two man job. Paul said, we proclaim that we may present. Paul couldn't do it by himself. And neither can I. In fact, if Mark and I were the only ministers at Chatham Christian Church, the ministry here would fail. Fortunately, we're not. We have a host of saints who work in the ministry of CCC as elders and teachers and sponsors and nursery workers and musicians and ushers and greeters and groundskeepers and repairmen and cooks and who knows what else. And to be honest, I don't even know how many are personally involved in the work of ministry or all the ways they're ministering in and through Chatham Christian Church. I, I get so excited when someone tells me something they've been doing, I had no clue that they were doing. That's what we're called to do. And we're not just trying to create some religious organization and, and, and pass out duties and jobs. We, in years past, we thought we had to make lists and get everybody signed up for this or that or whatever. Sometimes I think that was more of a job to be a job than to accomplish anything. Sometimes our organizational attempts are just attempts at organization. Maybe we need unorganized ministry. That's a new thought. I just thought of that. Hmm. Got to write that down. It was it was kind of fun the other day at an elders was it an elders meeting or something, Jack? 
we were talking about who does this and who does that. And Jack says, I don't even know who's doing what. And he was kind of indicting himself. I'm going, yeah, praise for that. I don't either. We don't have to know what everybody's doing, but we should have the assurance that everybody's doing. Okay? That you understand you've been called to minister. To share the mystery of God. And to be able to present your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, complete in Christ. How awesome is that? How cool will that be someday in heaven? When we're around the throne and someone says, Man, I can't thank you enough for what you did for me. When you were working as a, as a referee, or working as a teacher, or a tax collector, whatever, because you understood that your job, your ministry, was to model Christ, to present the character of Christ, to live out Christ, and to be able to present those around you complete in Christ. That is so cool. That is so cool. You know, I don't know all that you do. It's fun when you tell me. But I do know that as a body, we have been abundantly gifted by the Holy Spirit to be a body of ministers. And like Paul, many of us are striving to present every man complete in Christ. And if need be, I trust we're willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and his body, the church, because we've surrendered our all to Christ. We understand what it means to call him our Lord. We want to be used by him more than anything else. The things we go through in life can be opportunities for ministry if we'll let them be. That's what I want more than anything else. To be used by Christ. I pray you do too. I pray you do too. If you've not surrendered to His Lordship or you've been ignoring your call into the ministry, I invite you to respond to that call this morning and to become a minister like Paul. Let's stand.